Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. I want us to, uh, to begin the message a little differently today. I'm going to ask you to indulge me and join me one more time in praying. And maybe this is just for me, maybe it's just me. But join me in praying and asking God's blessing on what we're about to hear and do. Father, your word it amazes us. We don't begin to understand all of it. But Lord, what we do comprehend, it is higher, it is better. It's better than anything we've seen anywhere else. And your word feeds us, so feed us today with the bread of heaven. That is our prayer. For all of our lives, give us listening ears to hear what it is you're going to say to us. We pray that in your name. We love you and thank you. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Well, the word for the day is understand. Simple word. We know what it means. We use it all the time. If you're like me and you like to trace down where words came from, their origins, and I like to do that, uh, you will run into the same block wall that I did with the word understand. We don't know where the word came from. We don't really know its origins. I'm saying we, I'm talking about the bright people that study these things. They say that the best they can do is it goes back to about 900. The year 900 is the first use of it. And it sounds just about and spelled just about like our word understand. So there's no clues there. They don't know where it came from. There's some people that study these things and they say that it is what they call an Edenic word. It comes from as far back as the Garden of Eden, maybe. And they think that our word understand that we use all of the time and we understand what it means, they think it may have been in the original language mix of the very first language that humans ever spoke. We know what it means. We know that it means to grasp something, to, to, to look at something and be able to grasp the reasonableness of it. That is a reasonable thing. Understand? We know that it means to grasp the meaning of something, understand its meaning, to comprehend. We know what understand is. And that's our word for today. Because Jesus will use it in his question that he puts to us today. And his question right off the top is, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? Turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark 8. We'll pick it up at verse 14. And let's jump right into it. For no particular reason, I'm using the New International Version today. And Mark 8, beginning at verse 14, sounds like this. The disciples, the learners, the followers, the apprentices of Jesus had forgotten to bring bread, which could be a reason to hit the panic button in a day very different than ours. If we forget to bring our lunch to work of an afternoon, why, why? We can just run out because there are burger temples on every corner. 
But back in that day, they forgot to bring bread. You're going to be hungry until you get bread. And they'd forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. If all were present and accounted for, plus Jesus, that's 13. And don't think big French bread loaf, think little loaf like hot dog bun. Not nearly enough for 13, one loaf. It occasions a comment from Jesus. Verse 15, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, as a result of him saying, be careful, watch out for the yeast of Pharisees and Herod, a reference there to baking and bread, and they're thinking about bread because it's scarce in that boat. Because of that, they begin to discuss this with one another. And they said, it's because we have no bread that he's talking about yeast. They could not have been further from the truth. In fact, they are what we call clueless as to what Jesus is talking about when he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. It's got nothing to do with bread. But they talk bread. It's because we have no bread. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? You have missed the point. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you not still see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. They replied, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, we talked about that last week, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. We talk about the questions of Jesus there, rat, tat, 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 in rapid fire fashion. We've got five or six or seven all in a row questions. And he said to them, do you still not understand? I can produce bread if I need bread. I'm not talking about bread. Do you still not understand? Well, there are several things that contribute to their not understanding. But he's not talking about bread. When he says, beware of the yeast of Pharisees and Herod. There's several reasons why they miss what he's saying. One is because they quit listening. When you quit listening to Jesus, you will always miss the point. And they had quit listening, and they have missed the point. See what he starts with. He begins by saying, be careful. Be careful. That's what they were to listen to. His word, be careful. But they weren't careful at all. And that means they weren't listening at all. They had quit listening, in fact. That's why they missed the point. And they thought he's talking about bread when he's not talking about bread because they had quit listening. They were, in fact, not careful to listen. Careful of what, though? He says, be careful. Be careful. Let's see if we listen better than they did. Yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. That's what he warns them about. Now, you know that yeast is an ingredient that's used when you decide you're going to do some serious baking. You pull out the yeast. But it's an ingredient that you don't need very much of, do you? Just a little pinch of yeast will do the job in almost every case. 
In fact, if you put in too much, you're going to have a bread explosion. You're going to have a, a Three Stooges moment on your hands. It's going to be way more than what you bargained for. You just use a little yeast is one of those ingredients that you don't need very much of. But in the scriptures, yeast is also a metaphor for corruption and evil. When you see yeast showing up in the Word, it's often a reference to those two things, corruption and evil. Now, when we start talking about corruption and evil today, that's not taken too seriously, is it? Most of the jokes that most of the comedians, the stand-up comics anyway, make have to do with evil and corruption, and it's a joke. It's a joke. We talk about things like Seven deadly sins, and those can often just be a punchline for the story. But Jesus says about corruption and evil, the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, take it seriously. Be careful. Be careful what you allow in. Be careful what comes in through your eyes. Be careful what comes in through your ears. Because if it's corrupt and if it's evil, even a little bit of it can lead in a direction you don't want it to lead. Be careful, he says. Be careful. Don't neglect things, even in a small way, that are important in your life. Don't neglect the people around you that you love. They won't always be here, and neither will you. Don't neglect them. And and don't neglect prayer, and don't neglect your time in the Word Don't go very long without looking into what God is speaking into your heart through His Word. Don't neglect gathering together with God's people because He said we're to do that. Be careful, He says, on so many different things. Be careful about your television and what comes into your home through that thing. My own personal rule of thumb, it's easy for me because I'm not a big TV guy. But I try not to allow anybody to come into my house through the television and talk about things and talk in such a way that I would not allow them in person to talk. If they would begin talking like that in person in my house, they would get the heave-ho out the door. And so that's my rule of thumb. Be careful what comes in through the television. Be careful what comes in through your computer screen. Be careful about the music you listen to. And again, it's not fashionable today to take this thing too seriously, but Jesus says, be careful. Be careful how you spend your money. Be careful how you spend your time. Be careful how you spend your energy. Be careful, he says. Be careful about how you talk about other people. Be careful about how you talk to other people. And gentlemen, especially, be careful how you look at women. Be careful. Jesus says to be careful about things that are so small. Be careful not to hold even a small grudge or to entertain a little bit of delicious hurt in your life. Be careful. Be careful. Don't tell even a small lie and let yourself get by with it. Don't even lie to yourself. Be careful, he says. Be careful. Be careful about what you put in your body. Be careful about drinking. And again, I'm not going to argue with anybody who, about can you drink and be a Christian? Can you be a, a, a Christian and watch ugly movies? I'm not going to argue those points with anybody. I could, but I won't today. But I will tell you I've never seen drinking or any of these other things that we to be careful about. I've never seen them help anything. 
never seen them help anything, and I've seen them do a lot of damage. So listen when he says, be careful, because that is the only way, even if it is small things in our life, a little bit of yeast, be careful, because that is the only way to avoid some major pitfalls, and it's the only way to avoid missing the point that Jesus is trying to make. Quit listening, and you'll miss the point. Quit looking, and you'll miss the point. They did that too. You miss the point because you quit looking and you could wind up waist deep in corruption and evil. Now they had to listen to get the direction. And they had quit listening. But the direction that they were to have gotten was about being careful to see. They had to listen to get the direction about being careful to see something. Watch out is the way Jesus says it. Watch out! Have you ever seen anybody that didn't watch out? You know, we yell out, watch out! Do you ever see somebody that didn't watch out after somebody yells, watch out? I remember a professor in college. She was a very godly lady. In fact, she was a very spiritual lady. She was spiritual to the point that she gave me heebie-jeebies because I wasn't that spiritual. But I remember watching this professor as the, the bell would ring and hundreds of students would, would rush out of the classroom buildings heading for chapel. And most everybody walked along a covered walkway, great big wide walkway on the way to chapel, and there were there were steel posts that were supporting that walkway every so often. And I watched this lady slam into one of those poles. Her wig fell off. I saw it happen three times. I saw her do it three different times. She'd be talking with somebody and very animated and wham! And off would come the wig. I saw it happen three times, and every time somebody would yell, watch out, and every time she wouldn't. Watch out, Jesus says. Watch out specifically for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Now let's get into that. It's mentioned twice, two different kinds of yeast, so I'm guessing that what he warns about here that they don't hear and they don't see are two different dangers. So the yeast of the Pharisees, what is that that he's saying watch out for? Well, those same Pharisees, just a few verses up in verse 11, had asked him to prove himself by a sign. Give us a sign, Jesus. If you're going to take authority here, if you're going to claim to be somebody great, give us a sign. Give us a sign. You can read it for yourself. They begged him for a sign. They insisted on a sign. Cut some caper for us. Do some miracle. Give us a sign. But he refused them a sign. These Pharisees were a group of people that were always wanting more and more and more from Jesus. Now let me ask you, do you think it's likely that they would have suddenly fallen in with Jesus had he given them the desired sign. Would they suddenly have said, oh, well, we've been wrong all along. We're going to become one of the disciples. We're going to follow you to the end too. How likely was that? Not likely at all, is it, that they would do that? 
talking to John before the service, and I told him That's, that thinking has modified the way I share Jesus Christ with some people now over the last couple years. You've had people like this come to you. They come and they have a question. How can you be a Christian and yet God is, is not on the job and he allows people to suffer and, and things go wrong in the world and yet you say there is a good God and they throw those type of questions at you. You've had them. I don't mind those questions. They're great answers to all of those kinds of questions and I don't mind sharing them because it's taken me a long time to discover them myself. They were questions I had. So there are answers, but, but first I will ask a person who asks a question like that, if I answer your question, if I satisfy you with an answer, and I show you what is true, are you willing to bow your knee to the cross of Christ and become a believer? And if they say no, I don't always say this, but I think this, well, my time on this planet is kind of limited at this point, and I don't believe I'm going to spend it with you. Because it wouldn't make any difference had he performed a miraculous sign for them, whatever that might have been, and it could have been anything. And maybe they were, they were giving suggestions. Do this and we'll, we'll listen. But do you really believe that had he performed a sign for them that they suddenly would have fallen in and followed him? No, not at all. Wouldn't have mattered what the sign was. Any display of power, any attention that he would have given them would have made no difference. They would have taken the miracle, whatever it was, and run with it. They would have taken it and run. That is the yeast of the Pharisees. To take from Jesus Christ, and it makes no earthly difference in how you live. Not your affection for Him, not your actions toward others, not any life change within you, but you take the good things from Christ, the signs of his presence and love, and you run with it. That is the yeast that he warns of, the yeast of the Pharisees. Stay away from that. Stay away from that mindset. Stay away from that corrupting mindset and that kind of behavior, though I will tell you it is the prevailing behavior of many Christians today to take from Christ and run with the blessing, you realize, I know you realize, that you have nothing without Jesus Christ. You know that. He blesses. He helps. He guides. He rescues. He comes through with a job, or we pray for peace and joy, and he sends that, or healing. And there are many, you know this for a fact, they run, and there is no sense in their life of heightened love toward Christ because of what he's just done there's no stronger bond. There's no greater attachment with Jesus because of what he's done in a life. Does nothing to bring a person closer to the Savior. That is soul poison. That is the yeast that Jesus warns us to be careful of. It only takes a little bit in a life, this yeast of the Pharisees, and Jesus says about it, be careful. Now we say, oh, that'll never happen to me. It's what Cain said. It's what Cain said when he's faced with all kinds of pressures, internal, external, relationship pressures. And the Lord comes to him and he knows what's 
what's brewing in his mind. He wants to get rid of his brother. He sees his brother as the source of all of his sense of inadequacy and trouble. And the way out of this is get rid of my brother. And the Lord comes to Cain and he says, be careful. Master that thing in you. Because sin is crouching at the door. And you know the story, Cain. It happened. It happened. He didn't master it. And the sin that was crouching at the door, it overtook him and he murdered his brother. He becomes the first murderer. And it can happen to us with even just a little bit of that attitude that it can never happen to me. That I don't need to be careful. Jesus can bless me and I don't need to be careful to return thanks to him. That's an ingratitude that doesn't take much. Doesn't take much. So watch out. There's an ingratitude of actions too. You know that. We can display our ingratitude or our gratitude by what we do. That's a very real thing. We can throw nice words in Jesus' direction. He can bless us. He can help us in any one of a million different ways. And and we say out loud in words, thank you. Nice words in Jesus' direction, though, mean very little here if the actions are taking you away from him. Listen to Jesus on this matter, or you will miss the point in what he's doing and what he's forming in your life. Quit listening, quit looking, and you're going to miss his point. That's why they're talking about bread, and he's talking about something else. They had quit listening, they had quit looking. That's the yeast of the Pharisees. What about the yeast of Herod? He warns about that one too. Now what we know about this guy, Herod, the king of the Jewish nation, but he's a puppet. He was propped up by the Romans. He wasn't popular. Nobody liked him. He wasn't especially effective. He was a very secular figure, though. He was not an observant Jew at all. He was not a spiritual person seldom went to the festivals or the temple or anything else. He was thoroughly secular. In fact, he was so secular and so non-Jewish and unreligious that he moved his headquarters, the capital of Israel, his kingdom, from Jerusalem, where it had always been, and he moved it to the Roman city of Caesarea. He's that secular. He had all the trappings of Rome, though he is a Jewish king, Herod. What he really is is an imitation emperor. The food he wore was Roman food. The food he ate was Roman food, and the the clothes he wore, Roman clothes. And he, he behaved like a Roman, not like a Jew. He was secular. And none of the sacred in his life. Let me ask you how attached are you to the world? This man was attached to the world. That's the yeast of Herod. Now, when we talk about things like worldliness, and we use words words like worldly again today, it's a little embarrassing. We we don't like talking about worldly. That's old-timey talk. That's Puritan talk. That's narrow-minded talk. 
But the Bible says that our three big enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I didn't make that up. Those are the things that will erase us and cause us to be nothings. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And so it may not be fashionable to talk about it, but it's still a reality, the world. The Bible says this world, with all of its systems and all of its charms, this world is passing away. There's an old song we used to sing that says, Though the world may sweep around me with its dazzle and its dreams, yet I envy not its vanities and pride. Two of Jesus' main men, James and John, talked a lot about the dangers of this world and worldliness. John said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or her. And James, Jesus' own half brother, toward the end of his life, he'll write this Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. World, worldliness. I'm talking not about everything in the world because there's some very good things in the world, aren't there? There's good art, and there's good music, and there's good food, and there's good people. But we're talking here about an attitude that says this world is all there is, and it's the most important that there is. That's worldliness. That's Herod. That's the little bit of yeast that can get in and spoil everything. That attitude. The actions that accompany the attitude that this world is the most important thing, the actions that go alongside that, that is worldliness. Whatever can, people can make is all that's worth living for. That is worldliness. And there's no brakes on that behavior, by the way, once it gets a toehold. And we begin to imagine with a worldly mindset that if it brings me any kind of pleasure, even if it's a distorted pleasure, then I should grab for it. If it makes me feel good, if it makes me feel positive, if it makes me feel in charge, then it should be mine to experience. That is worldliness. That is the yeast of Herod. To be worldly is to be concerned with material things in life over and above your relationship with Christ. There's a great old book. I used to read it in schools. I don't think they do anymore, called Pilgrim's Progress. Just this last week, I was looking at it again. It's a story of a dream that a man who, in fact, really was in jail had, a Christian man. And it's the story of his dream, and in his dream, he sees a man named Christian who is traveling from the city of destruction where he lives to the celestial city. And all of the things that he encounters in trying to get rid of this huge burden that's on his back, it's his sin, you see. It's a story of how we come to Christ. But along the way, Christian, on his way to the celestial city, on his way to God, he runs into a man named Worldly, Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Mr. Worldly Wise Man was a big, overstuffed guy that had enjoyed everything this world had to offer, and he offers it to Christian as well and tells him, in fact, do this. Don't worry about the celestial city. There are easier ways to get rid of your burden. 
And he tells him what he has caused many other pilgrims to believe. He causes him to be embarrassed by the cross. Well, you don't need that ugly cross. Just enjoy yourself. He, he tells him to settle for just doing good. Just be a good person. Just do good works. You don't need the cross. You don't need Christ. You don't need forgiveness. You don't need any of that. Just do good and you'll be okay. Kind of a scoreboard mentality. If I reach the end of this journey and I've done more good, it outweighs my bad, then I'm going to be okay. That's what worldly wise men tells him. Just do, settle for doing good. But when people settle for doing good, they're binding themselves to the law and they die in their sins. Christian finds out in time and gets away from worldly wise men. Beware of the yeast. Beware of even a little bit of worldliness, you see. Be careful. Be careful of worldliness, being so taken up with the things of this world that you have very little room for Christ. Because you see, our own voice can drown Christ out. That's the next thing that they did wrong. They were talking. They'd quit listening. They quit looking. And they kept talking. They're talking about bread. Jesus is not talking about bread at all. But they're talking bread. Then they just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. We talk too much, I think. And again, our own voice can drown out Christ. The Bible advises us, be still and know that I am God. Be still. And there's a sense in which we cannot, will not know God unless we are still. My soul waits in silence, the psalmist says, for God only. My soul waits in silence for God only. Elijah is a case in point. He doesn't hear the voice of God in all the cataclysms and in all the noise and all the explosions of nature. But it's only when he gets quiet, really quiet, that he hears the still, small voice of God speaking in his heart. But if we keep talking and talking and talking, we miss the point, don't we? We need to get to the place where we can pray wordless prayers. Just be with him. Now, Jesus, in an effort to keep them from missing the point, he shoots at them five rapid-fire questions. And the questions go something like this, and they're one right after another. They're not listening to what I'm saying, and so he brings them around with more pointed questions. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And the answer to those questions are, we missed it. No, yes, yes, and no. Why are you talking about having no bread? They're missing the point there. And the answer is, we aren't paying attention. The Word talks over and over again about the danger of having eyes and not seeing and ears and not hearing. 
And that's because our focus is all wrong. Think about Jesus walking on the water. Simon Peter could walk on that water surface with Jesus as long as he did what? As long as he kept his eyes on Christ. But when he took his eyes off Christ and began to look around him, that's when he sank. Keep your eyes on Christ. It's all about focus. And so often our focus is all wrong. And that's why we talk about things and we aren't paying attention. Our focus is wrong if it's on anybody, anything but Christ. I'm not going to take time to analyze why it is we do look at other things than Christ. And we could tell horror stories about what happens when we do. And there are plenty of examples. And now that I'm thinking about it, all of the, all of the disasters in my life, they've happened when I took my eyes off Jesus. When I forgot that he's all I need and how wonderful he is, that's when the disaster comes in. When we stop being captivated and caught up with Jesus, we need, to, we need to cultivate again the thrill of looking at him, and then you will not want to look away. Everything else becomes trivial. Every other voice is dim. Everything else is worthless unless it can double back on Jesus. And there are things in this world that can double back and help you to see Jesus. Nature. Good literature, even some movies. I watched one not too long ago, an old one, a Peter Sellers movie called Being There. What a surprise ending it had. He plays a man that's kind of simple. He's grown up in one house his whole life, and now he's in his probably 50. And he's turned out of that house, and he has literally not left that home. He's been the gardener in that home all of his life, and now he's turned out. And he is defenseless. <laughs> but things happen. And he ends up in a very wealthy home being taken care of. He eventually winds up in a meeting with the President of the United States. And because he's so simple and the only thing he knows about is gardening, everything has got to do with a garden. And they're talking about the economy. And the President turns to him and asks him for his advice. And he gives an answer that has something to do with a garden probably nothing to do with finance, but it's interpreted as brilliant. And by the end of the movie, there are groups of people saying, he's so smart. Let's run him for president. And he hears them talking about that, and he doesn't want to be president, so he takes off walking. And this is when you realize who you're dealing with. He comes to a pond in the park, and he walks across the top of the pond. It's been Jesus all along. <laughs> so what I'm saying is there are things that you can look at and be amused by in nature and music and literature and movies even, and there will be Christ in it. It will double back and it will show you Christ. It doesn't have to be just a Christian movie. It can be a clip from another. Somebody sent me a, via Facebook this last week the exact opposite of that. He sent me a clip of a movie where some lout in a restaurant insults a gay man who's cooking. And the man is insulted, and so he goes out and he answers their loudish behavior with more loudish behavior. We don't justify bad behavior with more bad behavior. It was just one kind of bullying replaced another kind of bullying. And eye for eye is not what we get, but mercy from Christ, and we should extend that mercy to each other. But 
back to what I was saying, there are good things that you can see, and they will show you Christ in unusual ways. If it can lead you back to focusing on Christ, then it's a good thing. It's a good thing. To see Christ in things, though, you have to soak for long periods in His Word, in His presence. But why do we talk about the things we talk about and involve ourselves in the things we're involving ourselves in? We need to pay attention. We need to focus on Him. Why are you talking about having no bread? And then he says, well, do, you, do you still not understand? Do you still not see or understand? And the answer is no. We're blind to what you're doing, really, and we have no clue as to what you think. We don't see and we don't understand. The mind of Christ is missing today. The people of God are to possess the mind of Christ. That's what the Word says, and it's missing today. That's why American Christianity is 3,000 miles wide and two inches deep. It's because of the things we have chosen to fill our minds with. In the book of Philippians, it gives us a list of what we should fill our minds with. It says whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things, not other things. Think about those things. Paul goes on a tear in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, talking about the mind of Christ. He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind. We lose our focus. We don't see. We don't understand because we're blind to what Christ is doing and we have no clue as to how He thinks. That's because we've not put the right things in our mind. Do you realize that your mind is a battlefield? Your mind is an arena. And as believers, we're to enter that arena because we have weapons. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, listen, here's the weapons. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Five times he mentions the arena of the mind there. We don't understand because we've not put our mind to the things of Christ, the things that are noble and pure and good and lovely, we should stop filling our valuable minds with things that are silly and weak, tame, pointless, things that won't last. And we need to stop filling our, our nervous energy and our lives with relationships that are toxic now, am I saying that we should always have our nose only in the Bible? Our body only in church, listening only to Christian music? We, we should associate only with antiseptic Christians only? That's not what I'm saying. You don't, you don't know me if you think that's what I'm saying because that's not the way I live. 
But we find what is truly beautiful in music and in our families and in creation and avoid what comes to us through damaged minds and demented minds and violent minds. The damaged mind, you see, is contagious. It's yeast. And because we quit looking and we don't watch out, we're not careful to watch out for the yeast of the enemies of Jesus. Yes, there are poisonous things that can come into your home. There are things that come into your mind that can poison, and it can come through movies and music selections and images and words. Watch out for that stuff and stop it at the gate before it gets in. Look instead into what's passed through other good minds, and yes, that includes huge helpings of God's Word. And that Word was spoken by the Spirit into hearts that would listen. Take that in. That's how your mind is refashioned, transformed. That's how your mind is renewed so that you can understand what God is really up to and you won't miss the point. And then he asks, are your hearts hardened? And the answer is yes, obviously their hearts were hardened. I'm not going to take any time with this one. It's enough to say it's tragic when followers allow their hearts to be hardened toward Jesus. And we can do that. My best advice to you is whatever you have to do to keep tender toward Jesus Christ, do that thing. Do that. If that means committing more of your time to prayer, do that. If it means turning off the radio in the car so you can talk to the Lord, do that. If it means getting up earlier, if it means keeping a Bible in your pocket, if it means capturing verses every day on your phone so you can look at them or jotting them down on a fridge note, do that. If it means fasting, if it means refusing to stay away from God's house, do whatever you've got to do to stay tender to Christ. Don't let your heart get hardened. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Yes. Yes, we have eyes. Yes, we have ears. And yes, we have failed to see and hear you. We have eyes and ears, but we don't act like it. Don't go searching for a plan. Don't go looking for a guru or a book or a secret piece of information that will cause a special connection between you and Jesus. That's not what you need. You have all of the equipment you already need. You have ears and you have eyes. Just look and you will see Christ around you. You'll see him in his word. You'll see him in his people. You'll see him when you serve. You've got everything you need to see and hear Christ. Just listen. Get quiet and listen and you'll hear him. He's all around. At the end of the Second World War, a group of American soldiers, all Jewish, wanted to pray together and have a little synagogue service. There was a lull in the battle, and so they went into a bombed-out church, a Catholic church, and they thought, well, this is a holy spot. This is a good place. The problem was there were only nine of them. According to Jewish custom, to have a service, you've got to have ten men. It's called a minion, and they only had nine. And so they got into the bombed-out church, and they're standing in the rubble, and what are we going to do? We can't start the service till we find another Jew. They looked around, and buried up to his waist was a statue of Jesus. There was Jew number ten. 
And so they moved over to where he was, and they continued with their prayer service. Christ is all around us. You've got the eyes to see him and the ears to hear him. And then he says, don't you remember? And their answer is, no, we don't. No, we don't. They had forgotten if he's talking about bread, he can make all the bread in the world. He's done it a couple of times for multiplied thousands within the last few days. Don't you remember? No, we don't. And we don't remember because we quit listening to Christ and we quit looking at Christ. We quit. If you've still got your Bible open to Mark 8, the question of the day is in verse 21. That's where he asked, do you still not understand? Some of our versions say, do you yet not understand? In other words, by now you should have understood. But they have quit looking at Christ and quit listening to Christ and they keep on talking. And when we do those things, we will never understand. Now immediately after Jesus talks to them about their not understanding... It will follow up with the healing of a blind man who comes to them. He's stone blind. And Jesus will begin the healing, and he does something with this healing that he doesn't do anywhere else. He asks for a progress report. He begins to touch the man and and touches his eyes, and, and then he says, what do you see? In other words, how am I doing? And the man says, I see men, but they look like walking trees. In other words, eyesight has begun to come. I can see images, light and dark and shadow, but I don't see distinctly. I see men as trees walking. So Jesus touches him and the healing is completed. It's a process. It's a process. And that's what's going to happen after Jesus is talking to them about not understanding, about their not seeing And we quit looking to Christ and we quit listening to Christ and we keep on talking and we drown him out with 110 other things. I've got to tell you, it will be a process then to understand again what Jesus is doing, just like it was a process for the blind man to receive his sight. You know, messages like this, I'm I'm not really sure if anybody really listens. So let me just finish up with this. Maybe there's something in us won't let us listen. Verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And he talks about that, and and they're still not getting it. He says, you don't, have the mind of God, you've got the mind of men. So he gives up on the disciples and he calls the crowd along with them, but he opens it up to a bigger audience. Maybe somebody will listen now. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever 
Once to save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his or her soul? Talking about the cross there. Not Jesus' cross. He's talking about our cross. A cross is a place where you die. It's not an ornament. It's not a piece of jewelry primarily. It's a, it's a place where you die. And Jesus says each and every one of us have got to take up our own cross. And lest we miss what he's saying, he says you've got to lose your life. Because if you try and hold on to it, you're going to lose it anyway. That's a surefire way of losing it for good. So we stop missing the point of what Jesus is doing and saying and what he's all about in our life. We stop missing the point only at the cross, you see. Only when we come to the cross and take up our own cross. There are many Christians that cling, they clutch, they grasp at their own life. But he tells us, let it go, take the cross, live the crucified life. Paul will say along those lines toward the end of his life, may it never be that I would boast, and he had a lot he could boast about. But he said, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of Christ my Lord, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Live the crucified life. And then you'll get it. We stop missing the point, but only when we come to the cross. You see, I challenge you to come to the cross. I challenge you to live the crucified life. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.